chivalry is dead. A quote you might hear a recently broken-hearted teenage girl flaunt on social media. Some questions arise that need answering. What is chivalry? Why is chivalry even important? Is chivalry even practical in today's society? And where the heck is my broadsword? What is chivalry? Gentlemen, grab a drink and pull up a stool because this week we are getting into the thick of it. Though ladies are welcome to stay around, this episode is designed for ambitious young men who want to educate themselves on the value of having moral virtue in their lives, something that seems to be lacking at times, to say the least. Jeez, Luke, really calling out all guys like that? Of course not all guys, but specifically the ones that don't listen to my podcast or spend any time self-improving in the slightest. You see, gentlemen, we've been getting a bad rep lately. Whether it be justified because we've been acting lazy, unambitious, and lack responsibility, or unjustified because, uh, females mad, we might need to reevaluate one of the most sacred codes all males hold dear in their heart, their honor. Now, when I say honor, I'm not referring to the male's lust for his ego to get stroked. I'm talking about the way a man makes the decision to live his life of moral character. What does all this have to do with chivalry, Luke? Simple answer. Chivalry and all of the virtues that lie in it were the backbone of any respectable man's ethics in the late 12th century. But enough lollygagging. It's time to get down to facts. What is chivalry? We've all heard tales of chivalry regarding brave knights saving helpless princesses, but where did the word come from? Though the word is rooted in being a good, virtuous, humble individual, the real definition means a lot more than that. Rather than it physically being the virtues, chivalry is the tree from which all other good moral characteristics sprout from. Look at it as more of a lifestyle rather than a code of conduct hounding over your every decision. To catch you up to speed on a brief history lesson, the term chivalry comes from the French word chevalier, or a knight's ability to handle a horse in battle. The word is derived from the necessity for a knight to be extremely skilled on a horse in battle, or he is arguably useless. Obviously, the word chivalry is metaphorical of the fact that just like a knight is useless without his horse, he is also useless without any virtue behind his actions. History lesson over, close your textbooks. Alright Luke, so we've dusted off some info about a code that was practiced 800 years ago. Who cares? And you're right. In today's day and age, we don't ride around on horses from castle to castle, slicing down lawbreakers like a bunch of heroic rich boys. Then, what do we do in today's day and age? We do much more ruthless and sinister things like having to take the most basic of personal responsibility and keeping ourselves in presentable shape. To understand the practical insight chivalry can provide us, we have to analyze past the micro and look at the macro, aka the big picture. The big picture of chivalry is built off of two key principles, one, protecting the weak, and two, becoming morally of good character. I'm going to break down both of these principles in a nice and easy to consume manner. So here in about five minutes when you're done listening to this, you can go ahead and save the world. Principle number one, protecting the weak. Now, let's define a couple things really quick. 
When it comes to protecting the weak, I'm not talking about dressing up in a tin can, lugging around a broadsword, and hacking down bandits who disturb the peace. I'm talking about the very modern aspect of protecting weaker individuals. Yes, by all means, if you see some tough guy picking on a smaller guy, you can stand up for the poor kid. But when I'm referring to weaker individuals, I am referring to women. Whoa, 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 you can't say that. Women are just as independent and strong and literally calm down. This isn't to say women can't be strong, but looking at all the facts we have between males and females, we can come to a couple reasonable conclusions. One. Males tend to be generally more competitive than females, which also correlates with a high level of aggressiveness. And two, males are biologically on average significantly stronger than females. These factors have remained consistent since the beginning of time, and trying to say otherwise would be equivalent to denying centuries worth of detailed research. Males having both a high level of aggressiveness and strength has always put them in a role of responsibility when it comes to how they treat women. It is too easy for a significantly stronger male to abuse his power and leave a female in a very helpless place. Well, what should guys do about this? Tying things all back together, we get to the crux of the first principle of chivalry. Learning to tame the beast inside yourself. Or, in other words, learning to temper the aggression to the circumstance. There has to be a sense of balance between this aggressive instinct of the body and the patient reasoning of the mind. If the man became too much of the body, he would be fueled by his emotional response as well as his natural aggressiveness, making him not only unpredictable, but dangerous. If the man became too much of the mind and lacked any aggressive nature, he would risk becoming a passively weak man who couldn't stand up to injustice when it presented itself, or much less have the confidence to do so. But, but Luke, what does this have anything to do with protecting the weak? Women can still protect themselves just fine without the help of a man around. You're clearly missing the point. Yes, physically protecting women was a component of chivalry because the male is the stronger vessel. Just like today, if you saw a woman getting clearly abused by a stronger male, you better walk over there and figure out what's going on. But that is only the literal interpretation of the principle. There is a very metaphorical interpretation of protecting the weak woven in as well. Well, okay, Luke, if they aren't just protecting the weak from external threats, what else are they protecting them from? Simple answer, them as a person. It was actually one of the most romantic aspects of chivalry. Men, especially knights, understood they were just as susceptible to temptation as any other man. They also understood that if they didn't get themselves under control, physically, mentally, and interpersonally, they could pose just as much of a threat to those around them as a genuinely bad person could. The line in the sand didn't get drawn at the male's aggression either. It extended out to all other tendencies they were vulnerable to. The extreme male sexual desire was contained through self-restraint and respect towards the sacredness of the female's chastity. The thirst of the ego to assert dominance and power was quenched with humility and meekness. As I'm sure you can tell by now, this was an all-out assault of self-development the knight did on himself to best stay in line with his moral virtue, which usually correlated with early European Christianity, and arguably, there's not many things more admirable a person can do than that. 
These two characteristics were both extremely important to the development of any young man and I'd highly encourage any young guy out there who may feel like they're missing something to evaluate these traits regarding how they act. Principle number one, done. Principle number two, becoming morally of good character. In the research I dug through when making this episode, I commonly ran across this similar theme throughout any article I read. Though different churches had different rules regarding what the Code of Chivalry actually contained, the principle of becoming morally of good character always remained the same. Oh gee, Luke, real obvious one there. It's not like the whole code is designed around becoming a better person. Psh, oh my gosh. You see, the medieval ages were rather gruesome times, also why they were known as the Dark Ages. This was the time between the collapse of the Roman Empire and the beginning of the Renaissance. It wasn't terribly uncommon for entire villages to get pillaged, women to get openly raped, men to get gruesomely tortured in private as well as in public, followed by constant plagues that very well could wipe out entire cities in months. Like seriously, if you got sick in the mid-12th century, you were done for. With all this in mind, it isn't too hard to see why chivalry was actually an attempt by the church to slap these rascals upside the head and try to get men from an evil nature back to a moral nature. It encouraged men to have real virtue in their lives, promoting their honor as an individual. Everyone just assumes people should be morally of good character all the time, like it's something obvious. Here's a good example. Have you ever had a bad day? Like, one of those days where you're just genuinely mad and you really don't care how people interpret your behavior? Take that perspective and apply it to a man who hasn't gotten much to eat or drink. Plague surrounds him 24-7, there is little to no law enforcement at the time, theft is rampant, and you're in armor wielding a longsword. Factor in all of those variables with a bunch of young men who want to do anything but become farmers for the rest of your lives, and you have a recipe for disaster. But Luke, how does all this apply back into- Literally, shut up. Remember how I talked about these were principles of chivalry, not side-by-side -side comparisons. The principle relates to how temptation to do bad surrounds the knight at all times. He has every opportunity to finally give in and benefit himself, but he doesn't. As you can tell, this ties back in with the first principle of how essential self-improvement is to the development of a man. The whole goal of this movement was designed to turn generations of young, uncontrollable men into respectable, strong heroes of that time. Unfortunately, spoiler alert, it didn't really work. Many knights simply did as they pleased and brushed aside some silly code that the church tried to implement. You know, the more we talk about this, the more we start to see the striking resemblance between young men of the medieval ages and young men of modern society. Simply swap the struggles young men had to deal with in that day and age and apply the two underlying principles we talked about and voila. So, is chivalry dead? Not dead, but endangered. I know there are still a handful of ambitious men out there working to overcome the same struggles men have always had to deal with. Here's the difference between the present and back then. Back then, you were glorified and praised for this sense of knightly honor because you didn't serve yourself. You chose to be the man that did the right thing even when the odds were stacked against you. When not a soul around gave a lick of appreciation. Why would someone choose to live like that? 
Because at the end of the day, the goal of chivalry was never to make knights feel good about themselves with prestigious virtues and shiny armor. It was about turning boys into men. Thanks for tuning in. Before I let you go, I would like to say I apologize for taking ages to upload. I actually had a whole different episode planned, but scrapped the whole idea last minute because I felt like I hadn't had enough knowledge on the topic to give you guys a fair analysis regarding it. We will be returning to our normal upload schedule of Who Actually Knows, and don't forget, anyone who you think would find this information useful is more than happy to tune in. Just let them know I'm out here. I'll see y'all sometime soon.